today's episode. It's certainly useful uh, when you have had an early harvest, the rape is off, uh, and the grower is just itching to get going. Yeah, well, Stokes and Best are a, a good example. So they, they've been on the, the Scottish list now for two complete years. It's, it's their third year now on the recommended list. So they're in the same category as um, Skyscraper. So we've had time to evaluate them over several years. And at the moment, both look very competitive. Welcome to Cropcast. I am Tiffany Stevenson, and today we're joined by Steve Hode, team leader specialising in agronomy, physiology and genetics at SRUC, and Donald Dunbar, regional manager at SAC Consulting. Today we're talking about variety choices in winter wheat and the national recommended list. Steve, would you like to start by introducing yourself? Yes, thanks, Tiffany. Yes, I'm Steve Hode. I'm based at SIUC in Edinburgh, and I specialise on new agronomy and uh, crop varieties. And Donald? Yeah, Donald Dunbar. I am a consultant in the St. Boswell's office. Um, also have some wider responsibilities for the for the southeast region. Uh, and unlike Steve, I'm probably not a specialist in anything. I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge, though, Donald. I've been around. So, so just to start off with, can we just have a chat about what the differences are between the Scottish recommended list and the national recommended list? Because I do get slightly lost in there. Steve, do you want to start? Yes, Tiffany. It's it's actually it's a good question because we often get asked this quite a lot from uh, farmers. And um, our our students, essentially the the AHDB list, which is published online and as a booklet, is the most comprehensive list of the the current varieties. So it's based on information from the the national list and the recommended list systems to give us an update on all the important varieties that are recommended and also the candidate varieties for each of the major combinable crops. What the Scottish list does, it takes subsets of some of the main crops, some of the main species, and it tries to select those varieties that are best suited to Scottish growers and is also relevant to growers in the north of uh, England as well. So we're taking the varieties that we think have most merit in terms of their agronomic value, but also their market use as well. And hopefully that that comes through in some of the discussion we we have this afternoon. So Donald, I'm assuming it's important to have a Scottish list because we have slightly different climate, slightly different um, factors influencing crops in Scotland. Yeah, I think you're you're right there, and, and I agree with what Steve has said. Uh, I think what you have is a trade that is supplying seed that are national companies, and they have made a commitment to take on uh, certain varieties, probably based on the ADAS recommended list, and they are available. And uh, having the Scottish list allows uh, farmers, growers to uh, be a little bit more discerning and go, okay, well, that might be fine for the uh, uh, south of England and north of England. 
but uh, it's maybe not going to do so well in Scotland. Uh, and, and perhaps the the markets we go for, your distilling is more important in Scotland than it is down south, and uh, uh, perhaps that that are, the Scottish list helps in where where you are focusing in on a market as well. So, how do varieties um, end up on the recommended list? Because you mentioned before candidate variety, Steve. What's the process to be recommended? Yeah. So each year under the the AHDBRL's evaluation system, there are a number of candidate varieties for each of the major crop species that are then evaluated according to particular guidelines on yield and other agronomic features. So, so a recommended list committee will then look at all the data and then they will compare the candidates against current standard varieties or current control varieties and then make uh, decisions on which candidates merit entry onto the recommended list. And they, they will then proceed into the um, year one recommendation and hopefully year two and beyond. So that's different to the the way varieties are recommended in Scotland. We work with a, uh, a committee that perhaps takes, in some ways, perhaps a, a less rule-based approach where we can select varieties, including candidates, the best candidates that best suited to our markets, our farms and, and different growing systems. So we're much less rule-based in that sense and perhaps can pick a new variety on a balance of, uh, of features of which yield disease resistance and grain quality. And as Donald said, um, perhaps value for sectors like, like distilling is actually quite important. I think that's particularly true for the spring barley varieties. You know, when you look at the list, there, there are a lot of candidate varieties. They show promise. Uh, they come through their micro malts, uh, and then they, they fall at the final hurdle of, of macro malts. And you, you know, constantly see that promisingly looking variety, good agronomic features, but it falls at the final hurdle. Uh, Steve, you, you, I'm sure you can add to that. Yeah, it's a good example, Donald, because in in a sector such as uh, malt distilling, which can serve obviously different uses then after malting, so it it could be malt distilling, grain distilling, and and and, and brewing. It actually takes several years for a new variety to go through its various testing. So this runs in parallel to the recommended list list system. So sometimes a variety that might be promising agronomically might fail to uh, succeed going through what we call micromalting tests and, and then larger scale, commercial scale tests. And so that um, is sometimes a disappointment that we don't marry these two things, sort of quality and agronomics together. Um, but it does take kind of several years to bring to bring this forward into um, a variety that can compete, say, with the current leaders in such as L Laureates and uh, LG Diablo. So just thinking about the uh, recommended lists, for the Scottish market, um, if it's got, say, a plus one for maturity, what does that mean? Yeah, it's 
again, this is a really interesting point for discussion, and it's and every one of our open days, we 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 we're talking about maturity, what that means on the the AHDB UK wide scale. What does that mean for Scottish growers? And essentially, a plus one means uh, a plus one day compared to a standard or control variety, and that's a UK figure. Now, as we go from the south of England up into the north of England and into Scotland, that plus one in terms of difference in the time it takes to reach maturity, that plus one could stretch to three or four days. And so when you have a variety that's uh, plus two or even plus three, which we're perhaps talking of a week or more later maturity than a, a control variety, which is at the figure of, of zero. Likewise, we might have varieties that are minus one or minus two, and that means they're relatively early in, in, in their maturity. What we try to do, so Donald and I are familiar with this at Open Days, we try to put this into context of the, the local conditions for farmers, particularly of um, uh, for, uh, species like spring barley, winter barley, and uh, winter wheat. So, Donald, do you usually see this difference when you're out in the field walking crops? Do you notice a difference uh, depending on the varieties and what the maturity is? Yes, that difference does come through. Um, in the winter cereals, you also have the added dimension of a, a variety being sown early or sown late. So there, that does feed in as well. But from a, a grower's point of view, it's useful to have that information uh, if they have a lot of acreage to get through, they can then uh, use uh, the, the variety uh, maturity to help spread their harvest uh, rather than having a variety, a single variety that is all going to come in or, or maturity dates that are all coming at the same time. Uh, nothing worse than uh, everything being ready and the weather not being. Uh, so it builds a little bit of resilience into the system uh, and, and, and equally you know, if, if they can introduce a, a, an earlier variety, um, such as X days, uh, it's 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 one of the minus figures. It's a minus one, uh, and uh, you know you have some that are, uh, are 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 plus one and and plus two. The the newer variety uh, Stokes and Bearstow, they're a plus two, and and whilst people might want to put some of that acreage in, they probably don't want to get too heavily weighted. Uh, to uh, later maturing, uh, we would rather be pulling it the other way, to be honest. That sounds very sensible, though, having the resilience and having them um, being ready at slightly different times just to spread the workload out a bit more. The other thing I notice on the recommended list is scores for resistance. Um, so what kind of scores would you say are a good score if you say you've got an area that's um, particularly wheat or in particular um, disease like septoria? What kind of score would you be looking for? Yeah, it's quite a hot topic at the moment because within a, a crop species, there's, there's quite wide variation in resistance to some of the major diseases. And so you, you mentioned septoria there. And this is a disease that um, overall we really would like to see improvements across all varieties in the level of resistance because some varieties that we rate 
at say four or five out of nine, where where nine is excellent, one is is extremely poor, where many varieties are at four or five, that they're really quite susceptible to this kind of disease. So we're really looking for well, certainly for diseases like septoria, for resistance in the sixes and sevens and beyond to have something that's a bit more reliable. Now saying that, it's quite clear that breakdown in resistance can occur very rapidly and we can pick it up in particular regions. And certainly in Scotland and East, and East Lothian, we often pick up the early signs of, of breakdown, particularly in diseases like septoria and yellow rust. And that means that the current ratings that you might see in this year's list, we have to then revise downwards in, in many cases, because we've got the signs of, of breakdown in some of these um, uh, resistances to, to, the, to the main disease threats. I think from a grower's, yeah, a grower's point of view, uh, you can try and build a bit of resilience into your uh, your cropping program by having varieties with a stronger resistance trait. It doesn't mean that you're not going to spray with a, a preventative, protective uh, spray at your T1, T2 timing, but it at least allows you, if you've selected a variety that has a nine for yellow rust, you can really think, okay, I'm not going to go in at the T0 timing. Uh, I, I'm, because I know I've got good rust resistance. Um, and and perhaps it means that in a disease pressure year, that, um, perhaps like last year, where the dry weather really flattened out the uh, disease pressure that came through the winter. It was dry uh, in the spring, and then it was uh, warm, uh, hot even, and dry in the summer. And the disease pressure didn't manifest itself in the way that it could have. Uh, and you then can, uh, in from your spray program, maybe go with uh, older spray products rather than uh, the, the, the newer, um, stronger, protectant, uh, eradicant uh, product uh, and, and help your margin uh, of the crop. Uh, the financial margin of the crop. There's definitely lots to think about when you're looking at the recommended list. So if you just um, focus in on winter wheat, um, I think we're going to have to start with skyscraper because that's one of the well-known common um, varieties. Steve, how is it fed this year? Yeah, well, skyscraper, when it came along, um, it provided growers with a with a good high yield, but relatively early maturity. So it's still a variety that we think is important because it sets that uh, really nice combination of, of, of features. But as with many varieties that have been around for a few years, it's untreated yield is now looking relatively poor. So the disease resistances are being eroded. And it's one of the varieties that this year we've picked up with a, a leaf canopy that is rapidly declining because of the um, increased um, susceptibility to septoria triticide that you mentioned and uh, other diseases like uh, yellow rust. So it's becoming a variety that is um, 
um, more challenging to control in terms of the major uh, diseases. Donald, um, have you seen skyscraper out in the field this year? Have, have you seen a difference in how it's faring? Yes, skyscraper does have a significant acreage uh, and, and many growers will, will have it uh, as being one of their wheat varieties. Uh, and, I, and I would agree with uh, Steve that it is looking a, a little bit dirtier this year, particularly if the interval between that uh, T1 spray and T2 spray was stretched. The level of septoria lower down in the crop, uh, or, or certainly on that final leaf two, is is certainly more significant. Uh, but but it has done it has done well. Uh, but uh, I, I think there's a, there's been a bit of a, a you know a, a trend. You know we we had varieties that were there year in year out for quite long periods of time. They became a bit of a benchmark and they stuck around for quite a while. Barrel might be you know an example of the, of the list at the moment. Um, uh, uh, but I, th I think at the moment we seem to have varieties that that are there for just a few years and then they start to fade. And I, Steve will have a better idea perhaps if it's it's because of their breeding they've got common things in common in their breeding and and it's and they which makes them more susceptible to breaking down. Uh, and I, you know I'd be interested to hear what what Steve is thinking on Stokes and Bearstow as as the kind of two varieties that have been coming through are, are they going to come continue to come through this year yeah well stokes and best are, are, are good examples so they they've been on the the scottish list now for two complete years it's, it's their third year now on the recommended list so they're in the same category as um skyscraper so they're in the soft feed category that and varieties that suit uh, grain distilling. So we've had time to evaluate them over several years. And at the moment, both look very competitive and very uh, valuable in that, in that sector. So soft feed and suitable for uh, distilling. In fact, both are rated good for distilling, which means they process well um, uh, for that sector. They've both got a, a yield improvement on skyscraper which is positive, and their, their untreated yields and their leafy canopies, certainly this year, are looking much healthier in the untreated crops. So we have untreated crops as part of the, um, the trial design when we're evaluating um, all of the varieties. So they're looking, they're looking a lot stronger um, in, in that sort of combination of high yield, good grain quality and um, good untreated yield. The, the slight downside is that, we've, as we've touched on, that, that their maturity is, is a bit later. So they're both plus twos rather than the zero of skyscraper. So as we go further north in in, in Scotland, perhaps to, to, to the northeast of Scotland, that, that could really be quite, quite a few days difference then in, in maturity for these particular varieties. So we might then want to position them perhaps in areas that um, growers knew that they could get their, their crops off relatively early. So you might want to avoid them in the, in the very later um, sort of growing conditions. 
So would those two be your pick um, if someone was looking for a distilling variety or are there other varieties for distilling which um, you would go for? Yeah, I think they, they will be at, at the very top of the picks. So along with um, Skyscraper, as I say, perhaps um, it, um, it's not quite as high yielding, but it's, it's early maturity still valued. So we've got um, RGT Stokes and RGT Bearstow. They will be among the, the top picks. Uh, and along with varieties such as um, uh, Swallow that we've retained on the Scottish list and a new variety called uh, KWS uh, Zealum. So we've got a, a few varieties there. We'd probably like to have one or two more, um, but, but at the moment I would say that those five I've mentioned, I think that they will be sort of like the top picks in that category. The uh, soft uh, group four has been a bit of a mainstay for Scotland over the years and uh, with the distilling uh, market. But I think what's been interesting over the last five years perhaps is the way that the uh, feed hard wheats have come through and uh, with higher yield and generally with a better uh, a disease, you know, agronomy look uh, uh, and, and good second wheats as well. Um, and there are some growers out there who have turned their back on the uh, soft group fours and they're only growing uh, the, the hard wheats. Uh, and is that, is that just been a breeding thing, Steve, that has, has brought that around, that there's some different lines and better agronomic features coming through? Yeah, well, they come through with quite different pedigrees, so they're quite distinct um, in, in, in that sense. And as you say, they've got different agronomic features, but also differences in, in grain quality as well. So e even the the hard feed wheats can have grain features which are really quite good in, in terms of quality. So having excellent specific weight and um, excellent um, Hagberg falling number, which is a way of indicating uh, uh, perhaps uh, resilience against um, sprouting. So, so they bring some really nice agronomic features and grain quality features. I think the key issue with this type of variety in, in Scotland is how the, the main end users, so say the, the, the grain distillers, how they would view these as part of their intake. And we're certainly having discussion at the moment with organisations such as the, the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute about how the whole sector then might place some of the hard wheats in relation to the main intake in for the grain distillers, which has been largely based on the the soft wheat, which produces very high spirit yields, very good processability. So it's a question of how the hard wheats might kind of fare uh, in that type of end use compared to the standard, you know, very well known soft wheats. It'll be interesting to see what the end users are thinking about that. Um, so if somebody's looking to um, grow a biscuit uh, making variety, is there a top pick for that? Yeah, the, the, 
the Nabit, sorry, the, the UK Flour Millers uh, Group 3, um, the biscuit making varieties, um, it, it's a long list. It's, it, it's, it's 10 varieties th this year. But on the Scottish list, we've only got three of those 10. And, um, and in fact, we've only got two of those that we could consider suit both biscuit making and, and grain distilling because the biscuit making varieties can also have that that particular use as well so we we tend to be um perhaps quite uh, cautious in what we add to that particular part of the the, the scottish list so we, we want to growers to have ch choices for varieties that go into biscuit making but we also like them to have possibility of using those same varieties for, for distilling use and also have have varieties that are agronomically quite strong as well. So some biscuit varieties have got a bit of a compromise on, on yield compared to the soft feed wheats and the hard feed wheats. So we tend to use the, the, the biscuit making varieties that have got perhaps the best or the most reliable yield and perhaps most reliable in some of the agronomic features as well. So that's why the list is, is quite is quite short um, on the Scottish list for, for the biscuit making ones. So Donald, I'm assuming if they're maybe taking a slight yield penalty by growing a biscuit making variety compared to just uh, um, hard or soft feed wheat, do does this balance out because they would likely to get a slightly better price for it? In theory, uh, there should, uh, uh, well, there is a premium. Um, the premium perhaps doesn't uh, make up for that lost yield. Uh, but but they, they do have a place uh, and a, people may select uh, a group, a biscuit a group three variety uh, for other agronomic features. And, you know, barrel was grown widely just as a high yielding variety, you know, it was uh, a, a quite a standout variety in terms of yield for a number of years, uh, and and you know people were growing it uh, for for that reason, uh, and it wasn't finding its way into uh, the the group three uh, into the biscuit market. Um, but uh, when you make the decision to grow a biscuit variety and you also have your distilling varieties, you then need to keep them separate. And the, you know, if you don't have the full storage that you would need to be able to do that, that then becomes problematic at harvest time. So uh, uh, many folk will just go, okay, it's a, um, it's a distilling variety. We can just put it all into one heap. That, that's fair enough. So you mentioned about barrel being a high yielding variety. I seem to remember that X days was one of the highest yielding last year as well. What has been the highest yielding this year? Yeah, well, you mentioned um, X days. Now, there's quite a, a, an interesting uh, story here because um, over many years, th th this UK flour milling group two wheat, we might say has intermediate yield, but had um, a very good untreated yield. So it might offer value as having a variety that was relatively um, low risk. Last season, so Harvest 22, it actually did extremely well at our site in East Lothian. 
So it, it, it tops uh, the list of uh, varieties there, out-competing some of the very high-yielding hard, hard feed wheats. So, so last year suited this particular variety, and it may well be that it was well suited to the early harvesting conditions of last year. It's, it's an early variety. The issue we're having with X days that's emerging from this year is that it's looking as though its disease resistance is beginning to break down, certainly locally. So expect it's not going to be looking as attractive, certainly in the untreated situation from the crops uh, this year. So I expect there'll be some of the other hard quality wheats or feed wheats, but also many of the soft wheats that will outcompete this variety th this year. So thinking about um, milling varieties, is there any that stand out? Well, th there's, again, for, from a UK perspective, that there's quite a choice. But this, this is an, another sort of category that we're, we are perhaps very conservative in what is used in Scotland because the market is very small for, for very high quality wheat. So we don't have any of the UK flour milling group ones on the Scottish list. Well, we got a few of the group twos that might offer some value in terms of consistency in yield, but also excellent sort of grain quality, which means that you, you, you get a good sample, a good specific weight come come harvest time. And there are several group twos that do look fairly good uh, for un untreated yield. I mentioned X days, but that looks as though it's breaking down, but there are others such as um, KWS uh, Palladium that's still looking quite good in terms of its um, agronomic features. So if you've got a farmer that say got a very exposed um, location which they're planning and planting wheat in, is there a variety that's less prone to lodging which they might consider? Yeah, that's another interesting point and it'd be, and be, be good to get D Donald's views on this because when, when we've got perhaps that type of growing conditions. Lodging is perhaps one of the key features we, we want to think about. And, and what's, what's apparent is that some of the varieties that, that look perhaps moderate for straw strength are still doing very well at most of our sites and on farm. So we're taking a close eye on what we might call, um, what we might refer to as intermediate straw strength say around about six, looking, taking a close look at those, say varieties like Skyscraper, for example, and see whether there's any added value in varieties that might have sevens or eights for, for straw strength. So what we're doing is that, that the main sites where we're taking quite a lot of um, detailed information on each variety's risk to, to lodging at and leaning just to see we, if we can kind of perhaps fine tune variety choice into the, the type of sites that, that you have um, explained. And if, if there was perhaps a, a risk of lodging, then, then we'd probably go for, for varieties that were perhaps stronger and, and having a, a, um, perhaps a strong response to, to growth regulator as well. I think the list is also useful if you have a high fertility site and you're able to check a variety um, for its standing ability, 
um, you're looking at the list, there is difference. Swallow a giving a rating of eight uh, without PGR, plant growth regulator, and nine with. Now, that is significantly a better standard than the skyscraper would be. So if you're in a, a high fertility site where there could be potentially a lot of mineralized nitrogen growing through the growing season, uh, that, that would give you a little bit of reassurance. Growth regulators work well in wheat and, and generally I, I think growers uh, are not overly concerned uh, about their, their, their uh, standing ability, uh, you know, the differences and the differences aren't significant. But I think there are situations where they might go for something that is going to stand better and, and high fertility is one. Exposure is probably another if it's an exposed site. And you see that in the winter barley selections as well uh, and, and, and spring barley where a, you know, they are, a, barleys are growing in, in, in perhaps more harsh conditions than wheats and, and people will focus in uh, on a shorter variety, a better standing variety, a variety that doesn't brackle uh, so much. So earlier on, Donald, you mentioned about second wheats. Is there some kind of testing to see how good a wheat is being a second wheat or is it just hope for the best? Uh, I think it's an attractive trait for a wheat. Um, I think we have limited breaks in our rotation and we can uh, uh, have more... Uh, confidence in uh, producing uh, first year wheat because it's had that break. Uh, second wheats can be variable. And if you come across a variety that uh, seems to do well uh, as a second wheat, that, that's good to have. It helps remove that uh, variation. Uh, um, Steve will be stronger as, as, as to the why, uh, because often I, I'm thinking, well, take all, you know, it tends to be stem-based root uh, uh, disease complexes that are the issue, but uh, the, the I-spot ratings actually don't uh, often support that. They just seem to do better in that second wheat situation. So I'll put it back to Steve to, uh, to enlighten us. Yeah, we, we might have a variety doing well in a second wheat position for a number of different reasons. And you know, Donald's just mentioned our eye spot there. What we do on the Scottish list, we, we do take this into consideration because it's become quite um, an important feature now in our variety choices. So, so many of our top soft wheats and certainly the hard feed wheats that, that we select, we would regard as being good in the second week position. So I, I think we've, we've probably got, um, well, we've got more than half of the varieties on the wheat varieties on the Scottish list that I would say are, are good as second wheats. And then most of the others would be intermediate. So anything that was poor, then, then I think we would um, we'd take a close look at and probably not include it on the, on the Scottish list. That's definitely good to know. And how about um, early or late sown varieties? Are there specific varieties that do well sown early or sown late? Um, or is that not something that you test for? It's in the testing system in a number of different ways. By using the database and looking at 
different categories in terms of early, intermediate and late sowing. So just looking at data in that way. And it's also looking at um, speed of development where the varieties that are slow in their early development, say up to the start of extension, uh, they, these varieties can be quite well suited to the, um, to the much earlier sowing. So though, th those varieties with the slower development can match that very extended growth uh, period very well. Whereas varieties that are quite speedy in their development, you will, we wouldn't want to sow those too early because then they, they might get to, to uh, stem extension um, much, much earlier or get to the position of being quite a large leaf canopy going into winter. And then that, that might cause other issues over, over the winter time. So the early and late drilling is has several perhaps influencing factors associated with it. Generally, most of the information we provide on this is um, it's, it's, it's perhaps it's all, cons it's all consolidated. And so, so many of the varieties look, look fairly similar. We, we can tease out things like differences, say, in the biscuit making category, where, for example, that um, the variety LG illuminates looks relatively good in the early sowing situation and the variety KWS Brium looks relatively good in the late sowing situation. So we can help farmers in that way by perhaps um, two varieties kind of side by side. But in terms of many of the other categories, it, it, it's quite clear that um, there's perhaps less distinction um, um, in comparison to perhaps some years ago where we had the classic varieties like um, Claire, that was definitely an early drilling type variety, or Istabrac, which was a perfect late drilling type, type variety. So I think um, it's perhaps more difficult to tease out these types of features um, in, in, in the current varieties. It's certainly useful uh, when you have had an early harvest, the rape is off, uh, and the grower is just itching to get going uh, because the conditions are good. Uh, it's, it's barely out of August into September, and uh, he wants to go and sow. And if you can put in a slow-developing variety, that is a distinct advantage because you know, the chances of it carrying a heavy disease burden through you know, the winter is, is, is reduced. And likewise, if, if you're putting wheat in after you've lifted potatoes, uh, you want the opposite. You want a variety that is going to get, uh, get going and, and give you a chance of catching up uh, uh, before uh, by, or by this spring. So we mentioned some of the varieties that might be among the top picks and um, RGT Bearstow and RGT Stokes are quite flexible in terms of where they fit in terms of rotational position and, 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 and drilling date, although that might not be classic very early drilling varieties or very late drilling varieties, they are more flexible than many others in terms of how you can position them. There's definitely lots to think about. Are there any up and coming varieties that people should be keeping an eye out for because they're looking very promising? Yeah, I think we've we've covered the 
perhaps the the varieties on on the, on the list, uh, including the new ones like um, KWS uh, Zelum, for example, that that might have some value. But there are there are probably several candidates that we should be looking out for, and certainly the results from uh, this harvest might help inform what we what we sow, perhaps not for harvest 24, but, but for the year after. So there are several uh, candidates that, that could do um, a, a good job for, for, for Scottish growers. So for example, we've got a, a candidate called um, uh, Bamford, which could potentially suit both biscuit making and distilling. We're taking a close eye on its untreated yield because it does seem to uh, just look a, a little bit um, uh, dirtier in, in the leaf canopy than we might have, have expected. But um, we'll see how that one does fare and see whether that can be positioned for like a dual purpose. And then we've got another variety called um, uh, Blackstone, which is a soft feed variety, which is being evaluated uh, for distilling. That looks much better in terms of its agronomic features from, from the, the trials this year. So that's another a candidate to look out for. And then as a hard uh, feed candidate, we've got uh, LG uh, Beowulf, which again, looks promising for treated and untreated yield. So as we get more data across different sites for this harvest, those might be three that we could see added to, to the Scottish list. And, uh, and we'll be talking about them a lot more th th this time next year. It'll be interesting to see how they progress and if they do go and start fighting for top spot in the future or not. So just to finish off, um, what would be your preferred variety of choice um, for sowing um, this autumn, Steve? I, I think if it comes to um, a soft a soft wheat choice that then then certainly the, the the top picks will remain skyscraper then um, Bearstow and Stokes and then and then for a, for a hard wheat uh, and, a, and a hard feed wheat and I don't think we've mentioned it yet that's actually attracted a lot of interest um, in the north of England, in in feed areas, uh, that is um, KWS Dorsum, which looks very strong for treated and untreated yield. So I would say we've got two, two or three soft wheat picks and KWS Dorsum as the out on out sort of feed hard feed variety would be would be worth looking at. And Donald, what would your picks be? I, I concur, actually, with Steve. Uh, I, I was just thinking through them as Steve, uh, as you asked Steve, and um, I think Skyscraper will still be there. Uh, Bearstow, um, uh, I, I think, might have the edge over Stokes, but I've no real reason for saying that other than comments I'm picking up from, from growers in the field. Um, I think they feel it looks better than the Stokes. Uh, but I think that's that's why we we benefit so much from replicated uh, uh, list trials uh, that that draws out the, those uh, differences 
a, a wheat variety can can look great in the field but but doesn't deliver and I've seen that time and time again so uh, we will we will trust uh, the the trial results which are uh, posted up onto the AHDB website within uh, days of uh, being harvested uh, across the various sites and uh, and, and will be fed into the various uh, lists uh, including our own um, and, uh, and and no doubt we'll be talking about them uh, at the roadshows uh, that we have uh, during the winter. I think it's it's really looking towards this kind of balance of agronomic features and some of the grain quality features that might give um, perhaps a variety uh, a bit of an edge in terms of the the quality of the grain that that that. That, that is harvested and things like um, Hagberg falling number that we mentioned can add um, just a bit of extra value in, in perhaps providing a bit more um, resilience in more challenging harvesting conditions where some years we might get um, above average levels of, um, of sprouting. High specific weight adds value. It's great to have high specific weight it tends to produce a more consistent sample. So just try to get that balance of features right, because we do have quite a bit of choice in winter wheat, perhaps compared to some other crops like spring malting barley, where the choice might be more uh, determined by what the end user is, is specifying. I, I'm not sure how relevant it, it is right now, but there is a significant interest in the supply chain now uh, about the carbon footprint of uh, of crops and uh, if we are going to be growing second and, and subsequent wheats we do need things that are varieties that are resilient that are going to justify the, the high level of inputs that we invest in them. Y yield is king uh, at the moment uh, and until the, we have sig you know different signals that, that make us change that uh, then, then we're a bit tied to that. But I think that the, there may be a, 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 some change coming down the line, uh, which uh, makes us look at uh, other uh, uh, other features uh, of growing a crop that maybe requires less fungicide uh, input, uh, because the, there is a developing market for a variety with less intensive inputs. Uh, perhaps less nitrogen, giving it a lower carbon footprint. These things, you know, might arise uh, in the future, uh, and our, our recommended list at the moment probably isn't very well suited uh, for for supporting uh, that, that that kind of decision making. But uh, uh, merely a thought. That might be something we're going to have to start asking for on the recommended list. What's the carbon footprint and how many inputs it needs? Yeah, I think it's a part of the perhaps the wider agronomic value or or em environmental value that um, a crop species or a variety might might have. Thank you, Steve and Donald. Next up, we have an update from out in the field. Hi, my name is Mark Bowser Gibbs, and I'm a consultant with SAC Consulting. As we are all very well aware, we're coming into a very much later period than usual for getting spring crops into the ground. 
And for the majority of growers, it'll be into April before ground conditions allow for any kind of field work and seabed preparation. Spring beans will ideally have been sown in March, and there may be a few that have managed to get beans in the ground. And for crops like spring barley, spring wheat and oats, most crops will be sown through April, with the last to go in possibly as late as early May. In a late season like this, final yields will be influenced to a greater degree by the extent to which plants can tiller before moving into their reproductive growth stages. Soil moisture and good seed to soil contact is required for good germination. However, where soil is very wet, such as a season like this, oxygen becomes a limiting factor which can reduce germination. One way we can help mitigate the downsides of late sowing this year is to pay particular attention to seed rates. So we optimize the number of ears per meter square come harvest. Of course, we know spring barley has a better capacity for tillering, while spring oats and spring wheats less so. When calculating seed rates through April, aim to establish 350 plants per meter square for spring barley, 360 plants per meter square for spring oats, and 380 plants per meter squared for spring wheat. Your final seed rate calculation should account for the seed's 1,000 grain weight, the germination percentage, and your expectations for establishment rate. As a general rule of thumb, increase seed rates by 50 seeds per meter squared from your original calculation for each week that sowing is delayed beyond the first week of April. This will help achieve target fertile tiller numbers through to harvest. Thank you for joining us today and thank you very much to the speakers. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast to be updated on future episodes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not try listening to other Farm Advisory Service podcasts? How about Stock Talk? In a recent episode, they had an Argentinian farmer talking about his cropping and beef production and he covered the importance of soil health and the need for increased production to feed the increasing population. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.